Welcome to Everyday Holiness, a faith indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is your host, Dan Allen, Associate Director of Spirituality and Service, and we are honored to have you with us as we share stories of members of the Notre Dame family, especially their mentors in life and in faith, pivotal moments and decisions in their lives, and how they strive to live out the universal call to holiness in many ways. I'm pleased to be joined today by a very unique guest, and so I'm really excited to welcome Colonel Mike Hopkins, a NASA astronaut and Notre Dame parent to this conversation. Colonel Hopkins, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, Dan, thank you. It's great to be here with you and with the uh, Notre Dame family. Absolutely. So we'd like to begin with childhood. What were some important elements of your early years that you could share with us, please? Wow. Uh, childhood, that uh, that goes back quite a few years for me. <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up on a, on a farm in rural Missouri, and mm-hmm. so we had hogs and cattle, and it was, you know, my, my parents, my brother, and my older sister. And so, you know, that was, I guess, very formative time for me, right? It was a, a period of time in my life where, one, you got to spend a lot of time with your parents, right? It's, mm-hmm. It was that type of a, of a job that my dad had uh, working on the farm that, you know, during the summers or after school, uh, we got to be there with him. And, uh, you know, so sometimes when you're going through that experience, it seems like work and it doesn't seem like a lot of fun. But as you <laughs> get to my age now and you, you reflect back on it, those are some pretty special times because how many of us get to spend that much time with their with their parents on a day-to-day basis. And, and so I think that growing up, that had an influence on me that I probably didn't realize at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then as I, as I left the house and went off to college and into my career in the Air Force and eventually with NASA, but probably more importantly with marrying uh, my wife, Julie, and, and starting our family, and I think that had a lot of influence uh, just in terms of of how we've tried to raise our our sons and really just the amount of time we've tried to be able to spend with them, even though, you know, I wasn't in a job that I was always around. Sure. But certainly when I was around, that's where I put my emphasis was was spending time with the boys and, and with the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that the, the work ethic that is kind of instilled in you from a farm lifestyle may not always be the same kind of work that you're doing later, but that work ethic is a value you can can kind of uh, keep with you as you go along. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And I, you know, I didn't even mention that piece of it because uh, that certainly, you know, when I went off to college, for example, and um, I walked onto the football team, mm-hmm. and and that work ethic that I uh, that started on the farm certainly played big dividends for me with uh, even making the team at, at the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, and then that just kept on going right into my Air Force career and, and getting into flight test and continuing to apply for, for NASA as an astronaut. You know, it was one of those things that uh, I guess you learn that on the farm is, you know, that kind of grit, that never give up kind of attitude. And, mm-hmm. and that certainly was necessary as I was uh, going through trying to become an astronaut because it, it did take me quite a few tries over uh, quite a few years before I was eventually selected. Great, great. We'll definitely get into that. As you think about other values and in particular your faith growing up, who were some important mentors to you in that regard as you grew in your faith? 
It's interesting because um, when I talk about my mentors, I, I certainly think, you know, my, my parents uh, stand out for me. And, and I actually grew up um, as a, a non-practicing Methodist. Okay. We didn't uh, we didn't go to to church um, a lot. We, we when I was real little, I guess we went. Uh, but then there was just a point where it, it just I don't know, it wasn't it wasn't something we did as a as a family. Mm-hmm. And and so really, it wasn't until later in life. In fact, it was it was after college, and my wife and I got married, and and she was raised Catholic, and so we um, started. You know, after we were married, we would go to church on Sunday, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that's really where my faith started to grow. And and yet I was I was attending the Catholic church with my wife, and then you know when our sons were born. Uh, they were baptized in the in the Catholic Church, but I was a I was not Catholic. Okay, and so it was not until later in life that uh, I would make that transition. Sure, sure. Well, and you know we have all kinds of guests and experiences on the podcast, and some people come from the practice of their faith from the get go, and other people come to it at a different time of life. But I think there's some encouragement there because it doesn't have to be the perfect situation and God can do a lot with us uh, regardless of, you know, how the faith comes to us. Yeah, right. And and that's absolutely the case. And it wasn't that my parents, uh, you know, didn't believe in God or, you know, I don't think, I think it was more of just, they didn't find a, a church that, mm-hmm. that fit for them. And, and so it was, it was funny because I always, you know, throughout our marriage, I always enjoyed going to church. I was always very impressed with, uh, first of all, it started just when my wife and I were going through the, the marriage classes mm-hmm. after we'd gotten engaged. And I was, I was extremely impressed with the various priests that we had to talk to through those classes and all of that. And, you know, I think at that point was when my journey in the, in the Catholic church really started. Mm-hmm. And like I said, though, it was, it's, it's been a, it's been a long journey, but it's, it's been a very rewarding one as well. Great, great. Well, thanks for sharing that. So did you always dream of being an astronaut as a kid or did that interest develop over time? You know, Dan, that's a interesting question because I was uh, born in the late sixties, uh, right? So 1968. And, and so, you know, we're not even at the moon yet. Right. And so when I was young, uh, you know, space and keep in mind that when I was young, growing up on a farm, you know, we had three TV channels, right? This was Mm -hmm. the old antenna that you had to (laughs) rotate around to to get those TV channels, right? So it wasn't like space was front and center in in our life. Mm -hmm. And and so I don't I, I don't even remember really thinking about space at all until kind of that high school time period. And the high school time period is when the space shuttle started. Yeah. You know, so this was the early 80s, mid 80s for me. And and so that's when the bug kind of got planted that that this could be uh, something that I would really enjoy doing. And and so at that time as well, the, the early days of the space shuttle program, I don't, you know, they used to actually get all of the students, and this is a small school, right? So we would all go to the auditorium or the gym, and they'd bring in the old big TV, right? And they would, yeah. they would show you the launches on TV, and, and you get to see the launch, and you get to see the astronauts working in space. 
And, and that was definitely, uh, oh, wow, that is something I would love to do. And so that bug was planted in high school. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it takes uh, quite a few uh, more years before you get to really act on that dream. Yeah, yeah. A few steps between the dream and the reality. <laughs> That's right. So, That's right. <laughs> so let's go through some of those. How did you settle on a college and, and what did you study there at the University of Illinois? Yeah, so I was I was very interested in the engineering side, right? That mm-hmm. was the math, the science, the the engineering came more naturally to me, and and so I knew that I wanted to go down that path from a, a degree standpoint. Now, I, at the time, you know, I didn't know anything about what does it take to be an astronaut, right? Mm-hmm. But I was interested in that in the engineering path and aerospace engineering seemed like, well, that's the right path to take if you want to be an astronaut, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and so then I just started looking around at the various uh, universities and University of Illinois was one of them that had a, a, a very well-known engineering program mm-hmm. that I was, and, and so um, I was interested in and traveling a little bit, right? So I went all the way from rural Missouri to, to rural, rural Illinois, if you will. <laughs> uh, it was six hours away. And of course, it was long distance, right? So you yeah. couldn't just pick up the phone and call whenever you wanted. And so there was a little bit of that adventurous, you know, spirit that, that I had as a, as a, uh, you know, a teenager that wanting to, to get out of the house a little bit. And so that kind of drew me towards schools outside of Missouri, if you will. Okay. And, and, and so that's what took me to Illinois. But the problem was it was out of state, right? And, uh, you know, my parents were a farmer and a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so out-of-state tuition was quite a bit more expensive. And, and that kind of led me down the path. Well, what's a way to pay for it? Well, how about ROTC, right? I, I'm interested in, in aviation and the flying piece that comes along with it. My dad was a he was a pilot in the Marines uh, in his early 20s, and and uh, my uncle was a pilot, so so there was interest there, and and so I looked into the Air Force ROTC and was able to uh, to get a scholarship that uh, allowed me to go to the University of Illinois, and it's kind of interesting how one thing just led to another. I didn't uh, really know what a career in the Air Force would look like mm-hmm. when I first joined, uh, and yet at the end of the day, once I got into it. I uh, was, was really just amazed um, at all of the opportunities that, that come from a career in the military mm-hmm. and, and certainly was able to pursue a, a lot of different careers, or a lot of different opportunities, I should say, in the Air Force. And, and my wife and I have just absolutely loved it. And so that's how I got, um, you know, I went from an aerospace engineer to getting to test airplanes for the Air Force mm-hmm. as an engineer. Mm-hmm. And so that means flying, right? And flying in the back seat. And, yeah. and so all of that was kind of a dream come true right there as well. So um, I, I got very fortunate in the sense that I, I kind of fell into a career that I loved that happened to also be one of those careers that uh, could lead you to being an astronaut. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, you come from different backgrounds, but that that's a pretty solid path. I do want to touch on your time on the football team. I know that you were began as a walk-on, but then made the team, and you were eventually the captain of the team. So can you give us uh, some sense of that experience? What did those days teach you about hard work, teamwork, and leadership? Yeah, you know, that's, boy, I just have so many fond memories of 
of being on the football team at the University of Illinois. I, I just loved every minute of it. And I know, you know, people often talk about the grind of the two a days and, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But man, I just I just loved being a part of the team. Yeah. And so yeah, I walked on and you know, it was it was funny because when I first walked on they didn't even have room for me in the in the normal locker room. There was about I think I don't know, six or eight of us walk-ons that they put in the visiting locker room. <laughs> Just in case you wondered where you stood in the hierarchy. Huh? <laughs> That's right. It was very clear. Uh, and it was funny because, you know, game day would come around and we'd have to move all of our stuff out so that the opposing <laughs> team could come in and, and use the locker room. But but it's funny, you know, and, and, and so I was on the I was on the scout team offenses back then and scouting offense and defense in those early days. And and so I was, you know, I was getting beat up a lot. And sure. and yet at the same time, I never once thought about quitting. Hmm. Um, it was just something that I, I enjoyed doing. Yeah, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of time, right? Studying aerospace engineering and doing Air Force ROTC and, you know, spending six hours a day over at the football stadium. Uh, you know, it made it challenging. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it, it taught me so much. It taught me about... You know what it's like to be a part of a team. What it's like to to work towards something that's bigger than yourself, and and so there were so many experiences that from that football team, eventually uh, getting to be a captain, getting to be on scholarship, that have stayed with me throughout my Air Force career, throughout my astronaut career. It is it is just something that I will uh, I will always cherish, and and it's certainly a big part of of who I am today. Yeah, I I found, you know, I didn't play uh, sports in college, but certainly in high school, and there was just something about being part of a team and achieving something and, you know, working together that um, is applicable yeah. even after, you know, your body doesn't start to work as well as it once did. But, right. you know, some of those principles can, can stick with you. And Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And, you know, one of the more valuable things that comes out of – out of those, uh, you know, we were pretty successful at that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were able to go to four bowls and all of that. But at the same time, we had we had our losses. And so one of the things about being a part of a, a team like that is it also helps you uh, learn how to overcome, you know, failure. Right. Overcome those tough times because we certainly had some some tough spells in there. And, and so how do you get through that? And, and that's another valuable lesson that's not always tied to success but is is sometimes tied to your failure yeah yeah because that's that's certainly part of life as well you know dan i I actually one more thing that i just want to mention about uh playing football at illinois the team priest or monsignor duncan Mm -hmm. uh that was also one of my early introductions to uh the catholic faith he was our uh uh, he was just an uh, amazing individual and he would right or he would go to the games with us and oftentimes i would end up sitting with him on the bus as we were either traveling to the airport or to the games and always was just impressed at at how he was able to bring a certain calm to the situation bring his uh you know the faith and and share it with all of us even though you know we, we all weren't catholic and yet he was able to, uh, before every game, lead us in prayer. And and, and he just had, uh, it seemed like, amazing messages every before every game. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I just, that you know, as we we're sitting here talking about it, and we had started to uh, talk a little bit about my faith journey. And, and I think uh, I certainly can't leave that out as, as something that was also influential in, in my life. Yeah, I really, I really appreciate you adding that. Wouldn't have known that. And 
Yeah, I, I think sometimes we look back at certain moments and, you know, see where we've been and how we've grown and and you all of a sudden recognize, you know, where God was in different aspects of your life, even if you didn't rec- recognize it then. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd like to move to the Air Force then, your time there. You spoke a little bit that initially it was kind of a financial decision to help pay for college, but then it grew into something that service to our country and, and the ideals of, of what that meant. What were some of the memorable elements of your time in the in the service? Boy, that's a uh, that's another long list. <laughs> there have been there have been a lot of very memorable moments uh, in in my Air Force career. Certainly, I, I would say my first assignment. Uh, we were in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and that's when my wife and I were married as well. Okay. And, and so from a, from a career standpoint, you know, I, I don't remember it as, as much from that aspect as from a, a family, a friend's aspect, because we were living on base. Mm-hmm. We were living in this, this old 1,200 square foot home that had been built in the 1940s, mm-hmm. probably, 1950s, <laughs> maybe. Right. But I got to tell you, Dan, that was one of my favorite houses. Hmm. It was a little two bedroom, one bath. Um, that galley kitchen, but it, it, it just had character and, and the neighborhood, it was, you know, it was a bunch of young Lieutenant families like us as well. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, even though we didn't have a lot of money at that time, the Friday afternoons or Saturday afternoons were spent with, you know, with the, the cheap plastic chairs sitting on the (laughs) driveway between your houses and just sharing, you know, good times together. And, and so I guess that's where kind of my career in the in the Air Force started. And, and that's probably one of those points where you realize, wow, we kind of lucked into something special here mm. because you're just getting to be around people that that are, are pretty special. Right. And their service to their country and and the sacrifices that they're making and, and just getting to be around them was was pretty special. But then I went on and I got to do flight test. And mm. and so my next assignment was going to the the Air Force test pilot school as a flight test engineer. So both pilots and engineers go through the same curriculum together. Uh-huh. And and I tell you what, and that was the hardest year I've mm. probably ever had from a from a studying and workload standpoint. It it was challenging, uh, but it was so rewarding. And and so I think you know, right? A lot of times, some of the most rewarding activities you can do are are the ones that are also the most challenging, right? Yeah. That really push you to those limits. If it was easy, you know, it, it probably wouldn't mean quite as much. Mm-hmm. And and so I, it certainly for for us, my wife and I, we didn't have kids at that point, but some of our closest friends that we have today came from that year together where where we all were working so hard and and yet at the same time getting to spend some amazing time. I mean I got to fly in I think it was 32 different airplanes hmm. while I was while I was there. Uh, so you know as an aerospace engineer and and getting to actually go up and fly and and take those principles that you learn from a book and now get to go up and apply them in the air that was unbelievable. Yeah. And and so then you know I I kept I, I did that then for the next couple of years afterwards as well. And then we got to go on exchange to Canada and I was doing the same thing with the mm-hmm. Canadian air force. And so that was amazing. And so within this whole period of time, a flight test, I mean, not only was I getting to, to flight tests, but 
our two sons were born during that time as well. Mm-hmm. One of them was born there at uh, Edwards Air Force Base in California, and our other one, uh, Lucas, who's the one who's uh, at Notre Dame, was born in Canada. Mm-hmm. And and so he's actually he was Canadian, I guess, before he was uh, <laughs> before he was a United States citizen, because <laughs> it took us a while to get all the paperwork filled out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know it's funny because uh, and again I guess the other thing to point out you know from a from a military standpoint, but each base we went to, uh, we were also going to the church there on base. Hmm. And so there was usually multiple services and, and Catholic would be one of those services that would be held on the, at the base. And, and so again, I was, uh, always just struck at, at how well-spoken and, and, uh, the mentorship and guiding, uh, that the priests at the various churches that we attended on our military bases, um, was extremely impressed with all of them. Mm-hmm. And so Canada, great time there. Probably one of the big influences on our lives that came out of Canada, believe it or not, was hockey. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's cold up there. You gotta, you gotta spend the time cold. doing yep. something, right? <laughs> it is cold. And, and, uh, you know, we, it's funny, we lived in a little town of about 12,000 people and there were four hockey rinks. Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> And, you know, I live I live in uh, Houston now. Right. And it's uh, I don't know, five, seven million people. And I think we have five hockey rinks uh-huh. here. So. <laughs> so anyway, so hockey was very dominant up there and I'd never played before. But it was kind of expected as the as the uh, American to play the intramural hockey. And, yeah. and so I did for my three years there. Absolutely loved it. Was no good at it. <laughs> but uh, but I tried hard. And, it, you know, the bug kind of stuck with us. And then later in, in life, when the boys were old enough, we actually got them into hockey mm-hmm. and and we became a hockey family. And and that has been such a huge influence on us through, throughout their lives uh, to this day, right? My, my uh, older son, who I, I know I'm on a Notre Dame podcast, but he graduated from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. So, that's okay. <laughs> But he played he played hockey there on their I guess the club hockey team. Uh-huh. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like JV hockey. Sure. So it's it's very competitive hockey. They have national championships every year, and so he played there. And then Lucas is actually playing for the Notre Dame club hockey team as well. Great. And and so it is absolutely fantastic. And so we got that from Canada, and then we had a chance after that to go live overseas in Italy as well. Wow. Uh, what an experience. Yeah. And and then from there, back to the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Absolutely love Washington, D.C. You know, my wife and I have had a chance to, and the kids actually, though they don't remember a lot of it, we've traveled all over the world, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot. We've seen a, amazing places, amazing cities. And yet Washington, D.C., I, I think is probably, might be my favorite, mm-hmm. uh, just from a Everything that there is to do in the city, the architecture is incredible. Uh, really loved our time in Washington D.C. and and then from there was uh, got selected as a, as an astronaut. And, and so, in 2009, we ended up down in Houston and okay. been here ever since. That's really great. Thanks for taking us through that. Before we get into the astronaut piece, I want to ask you a bit more about marriage, mm-hmm. family, fatherhood. What have been some of the joys and challenges of that? And can you describe some of the particular sacrifices that the family of military personnel or an astronaut, those families make? The challenges, you know, I, I guess I don't, I've never really looked at them as, as challenges per se. Mm-hmm. There's certainly been hardships and, and certainly everything has, has not always gone smoothly. 
right? I think that's probably the case in just about every marriage and, sure. and for every parent out there. There are certain points where when you're raising your children that that you can get a little disheartened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also all part of of getting to watch your kids grow up, right? And, and getting to help guide them and help shape them and, and turn them into for us, the, you know, the young men that they are today. And, and, and so certainly, you know, with the, from the military standpoint, the moving can be very challenging for young, young kids, even and probably even more as they get older. Sure. And, and so for us, we were pretty lucky because by the time our kids were in that junior high, high school age period, we were here in Houston. And so we were able to stay in the same school but but even so, I mean that is that is challenging for for kids is to um, you know every two or three years we were moving, mm-hmm. and so that meant new friends, that meant uh, a new house, that meant you know just trying to fit in with whatever that may mean. And so I think there's certainly some some challenges with that. Uh, certainly for my wife as well, I would say from a military standpoint, that moving I guess limited her and her ability to have a career. Mm-hmm. We were very fortunate because the career path she did choose was um, as a nurse, mm-hmm. and and so that is a, you know, it's a pretty transferable sure. job, I guess. And so she was able to find work at, at multiple. In fact, I think the only place she didn't work was when we were in Italy okay. for two years. Uh, but otherwise, she was able to find work. But you know, it just meant she was always having to go through the process of getting certified in a new location, a new state, a new mm-hmm. country. In the case of Canada, and finding that job, um, and, and so that certainly is challenging. Can be challenging on a um, on your spouse from a military career standpoint. But you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about that as well, and I mentioned it already in terms of every place we went, we found the church that we would go to. Yeah. And I think that kind of gives you that, that starting point, right. For, for fitting in wherever Mm -hmm. it is that you're going. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's always been that foundation for us, if you will, or, or that, that place of comfort that we could go to uh, when we first get into a new, a new location. Yeah. And, And, and so that's, that's worked out very well for us. And all the way, all the way to where we are now here in in Houston as well. Yeah, I've always appreciated that there's a certain sense of home in the church, and that mm-hmm. even as yeah. you're going different places, that that you're still a part of something uh, larger than yourself. Yeah, yeah, and you know, keep it, keep in mind, Dan, too, that as I say that, right, and when I say that, we're talking about the Catholic Church, and yet I'm still not Catholic, right? Right. At this point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's perfect timing. That was my next question. What What led you to finally make that decision for yourself? Yeah, you know, that's that's an interesting story because throughout our marriage, and even though I was, you know, I was um, as much a driving force, making sure we went to church as as my wife was. Mm-hmm. I always had told her I'm not gonna I'm not gonna convert to Catholicism. Okay, you know I was I was kind of determined that um, I felt like it was in, in, what was important was my relationship with with God and my faith, and that you know which church I was in wasn't necessarily as important. Mm-hmm. And and so that was kind of my philosophy, if you will, sure. through throughout a, a good chunk of our our marriage, all the way up until we got here to Houston. And so, as you know, I mentioned getting selected as a national, and it took a while. I, I applied four times over the course of 13 years before mm-hmm. finally getting selected. And so that was a very positive 
moment in, in our lives. And then we came here to, to Houston and I went through the basic astronaut training and that's about a two-year training program. Okay. And I got very fortunate. I got assigned right away afterwards, which, you know, I, I, again, so, I mean, everything is just going amazing, right? We've got mm-hmm. our two sons are in, I guess at that point, junior high and, and uh, grade school. Julie's got a job. She's she's working at the at the junior high as a nurse, mm-hmm. and she's loving that. I just got assigned to a space flight mission. Right. So you know everything is is going really really well, and yet something just didn't feel complete for me. Mm. And I I struggled with that a little bit, and came to the conclusion that that it was time for me to look at converting to the Catholic faith. And and when I came home and I told Julie that I was thinking about doing that, she about fell out of her chair because she had heard <laughs> me for for years right. talk about how I would never I would never convert to Catholicism. Yeah. But you know, this is one of those times I, I, I am a firm believer that God has a way of putting people in your lives when you need them. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the the priest at our church, Father Skip. Father Skip Negley, he, you know, we, we approached him and talked about uh, me going through the the course, the RCIA, to become Catholic. And the mm-hmm. problem was I was assigned to the space flight, and a lot of my training was happening overseas. Right. So I would be gone for six weeks at a time. Okay. And so how was I going to, you know, attend weekly classes in RCIA? And yeah. Father Skip was... He was amazing. He was like, Mike, don't worry about it. When you're home, uh, we will get together and we will do three, four, five classes in the in the two or three weeks that you're at home, and and we'll make it work. Mm-hmm. And and so that really, you know, was just I, I was so fortunate to have him be so accommodating to the things that were happening in our lives, um, and and help me through that that journey of of converting. Because uh, I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of sure. concerns, a lot of, you know, at that time, you know, there was a lot of the scandal, if you will, with yep. the Catholic Church that was going on. This was in 2012. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I had an opportunity to ask Father Skip directly about some of those things. And and the way he answered, the way he, I don't know, just explained a lot of my questions, really, I... I at the end of it, and it was funny because one of the first things he asked me was, "Mike, why do you want to become Catholic?" Yeah, and I and I gave the answer of, "Well, you know, I'd like to be able to, you know, fully participate in with my family and in their faith." And he's like, "Mike, that's not a reason to become Catholic." <laughs> <laughs> and so he really challenged me to explore my faith and to explore why I was why I felt this need. And, and so, you know, it's funny as I as I look back on it now, could I still answer that question? You know, do I have some profound answer as to as to why I wanted to become Catholic? And I think if if anything, it's it was what I led with when I said I felt like there was just a hole there. Mm-hmm. And and after going through that whole RCA process with Father Skip and my wife, actually, Julie got to go through a lot of it with me. I felt like. I knew that this was how I could help fill that hole hmm. and and fill those those gaps in my faith and my understanding and 
And so it just, you know, sometimes it just feels right. And you just got to go with your gut. Yeah. And, and that's what happened for me. It just, it was the right move. And so in 2012, December of 2012, I, uh, I converted and, and then the next year I launched a space. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to get right with God before, you know, you take on that kind of endeavor. (laughs) But it's so interesting because I do think that God uses the circumstances of our lives to call us to a deeper relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's in times of deep despair, you know, tragedy, certainly the pandemic, you know, we've all kind of reevaluated our relationship with God and the importance of that. But it's also, I think sometimes at these, you know, these highest moments, like all of my dreams are coming true. I've reached this apex of, I can't even believe, a small kid from Missouri, now I'm an astronaut and I'm assigned to a mission, and yet there's still something missing out there. I just, I find that so, so interesting that that's, you know, the way that God called you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is same, right? I mean, because I should have been completely satisfied, right? right. I mean, I was, I was getting to, to do my dream, and, and I was getting to do that with my family, and yet... God wasn't there, you know, he, he was there, but I didn't, I, you know, I, I hadn't fully accepted him, I guess, at that point. Sure. And, and so he opened my heart. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, that beautiful sentiment with us. It's, uh, it's really profound. If we could turn to being an astronaut, because, uh, you know, you're the first one I've talked to on the podcast, so I want to share <laughs> that experience with the audience. What's it like to, to be an astronaut in kind of the day-to-day life, maybe before, before space and all those kinds of things? Yeah, so my family would tell you that I don't work anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that the day I, I showed up here, my, I stopped working, <laughs> and, and that certainly is what it feels like. You know, being an astronaut... It's an unbelievable privilege, first of all. You know, the your country has put a lot of faith in you sure. to do this mission. And so it's certainly one that uh, when you when you get that opportunity, you want to give it everything you've got. Yeah. Right. Because there's a lot of people out there that would make amazing astronauts and they just haven't been given the opportunity. Yeah. And, and so you certainly don't want to you just want to give it everything that, that you absolutely can. And, and so one of the things I love about being an astronaut is every day is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And because there's, there's such a large breadth of things we have to know and be able to do. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to understand the International Space Station and all the various systems that make up the International Space Station. I mean, this is a football-sized engineering marvel in space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and we have to understand it. And, and at the same time, we have to be able to go outside and be able to perform a spacewalk, yeah. right? And so you have to understand the suits that are keeping you alive when you go out and do that and, and how to operate in those suits uh, because there, it is certainly physically very challenging. You have to be able to operate a robotic arm with these two hand controllers. And this is a 60-foot-long robotic arm. Hmm. And, and you have to know how to operate that. You have to learn how to speak Russian. <laughs> and, and, uh, you're right. Those are the two official languages on board the International Space Station. Yeah. And, and so you're learning Russian. You, you have to fly in the T-38. And this is a two-seat trainer aircraft that the Air Force has used for years and years and years. It's a high-performance uh, supersonic trainer 
and we fly in that. We we train in that, and it's very important for us because it's we we do um, crew resource management right, where the two crew members that are in this jet you're you're working together to fly it, and if there's any problems or anything of that nature, you have to work together to solve them. Mm-hmm. So that's a very important part of our training as well. And so every day is different. You're you're just jumping from one thing to the next, and and I find that. I find that very rewarding. And and so that piece of, of the job I, I really enjoy. Yeah. And of course, we know that, you know, going to space is not without risk. And yeah. we've shared grief as a country and a world during this time of humanity's exploration of space. How does your faith help you to be at peace with some of those realities? Well, uh, for me, for the, the actual, you know, when, when I was getting ready to launch. And when I was in space, well, for, for me, one of the ways that, that I found comfort, that I found peace, that I, that I was able just to set my mind at ease and, and know that whatever happened, it was going to be okay mm-hmm. because God was with me. Right. And when I say that, I mean it literally yeah. because, <laughs> because I was very fortunate in that I was able to take the Eucharist up with me. Mm. And, and so in both my launches, when I was sitting on the launch pad, you know, Jesus was with me in a pix in my, in my pocket. Wow. And, and so that gave me comfort. It gave me a lot of comfort. Yeah. And, and, and then that gave me comfort, uh, my entire five and a half months that I was on board the, the space station for each of those missions. So mm-hmm. I've, I've spent almost a total of, of almost a year in space. And so, you know, I was able to receive communion on a weekly basis and there is, there is nothing quite like (laughs) receiving communion as you're looking down at the earth from 250 miles up. Yeah. (laughs) And it it certainly brings uh, a certain amount of peace for you. And, and then also for those, uh, I've, I've gone out on five spacewalks Mm -hmm. and as you can imagine, those can be pretty emotional, uh, events and and there could be a lot of concern and there's certainly some uh, fear involved in, in going outside. Sure. It's probably one of the most dangerous things we do as astronauts. And yet each morning of those five spacewalks, the morning of, before I went and started getting suited up, I, I received communion. Mm-hmm. I received the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And and it was the same thing like on that launch pad, uh, just knowing that, that uh, Jesus was with me when I'm outside in, that, in the vacuum of space everything is going to be okay. Yeah, the sense of be not afraid. Jesus says that so often, and right. and you had that real sense of it with you. So that's beautiful. Yes. What was the difference between the two missions? I mean, I, you launched, I think, from different countries. And could you share some of the differences between the time, your two times in space? Yeah, you, you know, so certainly I think one of the biggest differences on the second mission is I knew what to expect. Yeah. So the first one you launch, you're a rookie. And so I launched from from Kazakhstan on a Russian rocket. And you, you have no idea what it's going to feel like when you get up there. Yeah. And and you have no idea what six months in this size of a, say, 747. That's what about the internal volume of the, of the International Space Station is. It's about a 747. Yeah. You know, what's it like spending six months in there with just five other people, my second my second mission, uh, six other people for that length of time. And, 
And so um, when I launched the second time, those unknowns weren't there. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was certainly uh, some comfort in that of, of just being able to anticipate what, what things were going to be like, what challenges were going to come up and, and things of that nature. So that, I would say, is probably the, the, you know, one of the big differences. And then, of course, there is the, the physical differences, if you will, of launching on a Russian rocket versus launching on a U.S. rocket. Mm-hmm. And, and both of them are great. I certainly, the, the Russian Soyuz is an incredible system, mm-hmm. vehicle. That's that's safely been launching astronauts and cosmonauts to space for a lot of years, right. 40, 50 years, uh, 60 years. And, and so it's very reliable. On the other hand, there is something special about launching from U.S. soil. Sure. And so when you when you get that opportunity, you know, when you have an opportunity to, you know, have more of your friends and family there. Right. When you launch from Kazakhstan, you're limited to 15 guests okay. <laughs> that are able to go over. And, and so now when you're launching from the U.S., you get to share that with quite a few more people, more friends. And and I don't know, just, you know, something about launching on a rocket with an American flag on the side for an American, as you can imagine, would be would be something pretty, pretty special, pretty powerful. Yeah. And, and so that was certainly a big difference as well. And then the third thing I would say that's a, a huge difference between the, the first mission and the second was where I slept. Mm. So the first mission, I was in one of our standard crew quarters. And our crew quarters for the U.S. astronauts, they're located just kind of in the middle of one of the modules. And there's no windows associated mm. with them. They're about the size of a telephone booth or a, or a, a broom closet, I, I tend to say, for the younger generation. Yeah. Well, what's a telephone you know, booth? Yeah. What's right. a telephone booth? Right. <laughs> that thing that Superman went into. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but then my the second mission, I actually slept in the vehicle that we launched in, Crew Dragon Resilience. Okay. Because there was there were seven of us on board the station now, and we only had six crew quarters. I see. And and so you know one of us needed to stay. And, and on my first mission, there was only six, and that was because of the Soyuz and the number of people it could bring up. Mm-hmm. And and so we had seven. So I'm sleeping in Crew Dragon Resilience. Well, it has windows. Hmm. And 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 so on my first mission, you know, if I wanted to to get some good pictures of of the earth or anything like that i had to go down to the cupola which is this big window that's on the bottom of the space station mm-hmm. but this time i didn't have to do it i i could just every every night when i'd float in just to go to bed i got to see the earth and i'd be talking <laughs> to my wife and i'm just looking down and i'd be like oh wait i got to take a picture you know and it was just this <laughs> this constant sensory overload of oh my gosh look at one after another just these amazing views and amazing scenes and so it really believe it or not changed the experience a little bit for me sure of of just i, I don't know maybe it's it made me realize where i was a little bit more because of of how much i got to see out and and see the earth mm-hmm. What does that do to your prayer life when you're praying, you know, in these quiet moments and reflecting on the enormity of what you're doing? You know, oftentimes I would get asked the question about, did I feel closer to God being in space? Sure. Or I had, uh, I did an event with the Dominican Sisters of Mary out of Ann Arbor there. And the mother of Santa asked me the question, if I thought about heaven more while I was, while I was in space. Sure. And wow, those are some some great questions. <laughs> and I spent a lot of free time thinking about those those questions. And it kind of led me to one of these perfect moments, one of those just 
aha moments, perfect moments, special moments, whatever you want to call it. You know, you have a few of those in your lives. And to set the stage a little bit, I I need to kind of tell a couple of things about me. And and one of them is I I am not a good writer, right? I don't like to, and and this will make sense as I go through the story here. Sure. I don't. I don't write very well, and it's a struggle for me even just to, to put together an email, right? Uh, I can do a couple sentences at a time, and, and then I'm all just struggling for what's the right words, what's the way to say it, and all of that. So writing's a struggle for me. Okay. The the other piece is, as I've already mentioned, that the kind of set the stage is the fact that I was in resilience and I had those windows. Mm-hmm. And it's the 27th of March of, of this year, 2021. And it's a Saturday, and Saturday is our cleaning day. Okay. But usually it's it's a kind of a, a day off, but you still have to clean and, and do some of that. So a lot of times you have about a half a day off. And so I'd gotten up early. I'd done my workouts. I'd had breakfast. I had gotten my cleaning done, and I had floated back down into resilience, my crew quarters, with my my bag of hot tea because <laughs> you don't have a cup of tea, but my bag of hot right. tea. And I was floating there in resilience and I had music playing. It was uh, Max Richter, who's a composer, a, a German born British composer. He does a lot of music, ends up in movies and TV shows. It's kind of this, you know, moving, powerful type uh-huh. uh, music. And I'm sitting there listening to that music and I'm looking out the window and it's just one of these perfect day passes. We're starting over the tip of South America um, across the Atlantic Ocean, over Africa, the Middle East, and up into Asia. And it's just, the lighting is perfect. It's not too cloudy. There's, you can just see all these incredible landscapes and, and scenes. And, and so listening to that music, watching those scenes out the window, and thinking about those questions. All right, do I feel closer to God? Sure. And I just started writing. And... And I just started writing and writing and for 30 minutes. And remember, you know, I don't like to write. Right, right. <laughs> and so this, and, and don't get me wrong, that I wasn't, you know, this was not some award-winning treatise or essay or anything of that nature, but it, the words just flowed. Yeah. And this was an experience that, that I probably never had before. And so what I realized as I was writing about this and thinking about it was that being in space is, is kind of like sitting in a room with a uh, with a painting on the opposite wall. So picture you're in the Louvre and the Mona Lisa sure. is on the opposite wall or picture in the Sistine Chapel and you're looking up and you're getting to to see Michelangelo's work. But I'm sitting here looking out this window at the earth going by and, and that makes Michelangelo and Da Vinci look like amateurs, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because what I realized is this is God's work. This is God's painting. Yeah. The earth is his canvas. And and yet this painting is so special because it's changing from moment to moment. It's like I'm watching God painting it real time. Hmm. And and so I realized that by going to space, I had gotten to step outside of God's painting, if you will, and get to see it from a, a completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, I don't know, that just really hit home to me. And, and so I also realized, though, that, you know, when you think about sitting there in the Sistine Chapel or in the Louvre, and you want to get closer to the paintings, right? Because you want to see some of those details. Sure. And you can't. And that's what being in space is like as well, right? Because you're looking down at the earth 250 miles away. You're seeing this beautiful painting, and yet you can't see any of the details. Hmm. And those details, that's where life is happening, right? right? That, is, that is the human experience. 
And despite the, the pure joys of being in space, you feel this tug to go back to come back to earth. Mm. And I believe God, I believe God understands that because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live amongst us. Right. Right. And, and to die for our sins, uh, because I think sometimes we forget how special this place uh, that we call home really, really is. And so going back to your original question, I know this was a very long answer. Beautiful. I'm just, I'm just sitting here listening. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> did I feel closer to God or did I think about heaven more while I was in space? And, you know, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. You know, because one, I, I was floating there with the picks with the Eucharist, you know, with Jesus right next to me. So yes, I felt closer to God for that sure. respect, but I also felt closer to God because I felt like he opened my eyes, right? That he was right there and he was opening my eyes to his creation. And, and though I hope and, and pray heaven is in my future, there is, there's so much to life on earth. And I appreciate that in a way I never would have done without having that opportunity to go to space. And it took going to space for me to realize that. And, and I hope that maybe by me sharing this story, other people can realize that without having to, you know, crawl on top of a rocket and, <laughs> and launch into space. We'll take your word for it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, it's it's such a it's a beautiful sentiment because in sometimes the mundane aspects of our lives, or you're you know rushing from this thing to that thing, and you're not always taking in mm-hmm. you know the beauty of the creation or the change of the seasons, or just thinking about all the ways that God is acting in your life. And and sometimes it's the absence of that, of being part of that, that makes you realize how much grace and how much gift is is a part of that. So it's inspiring to me. I think it will be to our audience as well. I can't even fathom what it would be like to be in space, but here you are, someone who's been in space, telling us, Remember how good you have it here. You know, that the earth and and all that God has given us here is, is a tremendous gift. Yeah, Dan, you said it perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) And you were so kind. I didn't know that aspect about you as a writer, but you were so kind to share that story, part of that story with our Faith Indie audience. Right before you came home, wrote a daily gospel reflection, and boy, that that really touched people because, you know, you gave that perspective of uh, being in space and yet your faith was still important to you. So I wanted to turn to this aspect of faith in reason or faith in science because Mm. we've talked about it with a couple other people, but you as an astronaut would be a real authority on it. So how do you intertwine those two aspects of, of yourself, you know, make sense of both faith and science having a relationship with each other. Yeah. I, I guess I'll start with saying I've never considered myself an authority on, on much of anything. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's interesting because I've, I, I hear that. And yet, for me, there's, I've, I've never had a conflict between, between science and, and faith. I, I don't know. To me, they just seem to go, to go hand in hand. I mean, there are, there are things with our faith that, that we have, you know, we can't explain, mm-hmm. right? And we have to take it on faith. And there's there's things in science that that we can't explain either. And and yet, so what is to say that that's not God's way, right? right? That that's not His will. That's not how you know the the science um, in my mind. You know, this is this is how God created things. Sure. <laughs> and and so I've never. For me personally, I've never found a conflict between the two. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I have to be able to explain everything in in the Bible through science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as a 
as an engineer, as a as a scientist on board the International Space Station, or someone that's doing science for investigators on the ground, I didn't feel like I had to explain everything through in science through the Bible as well, right? Mm-hmm. That that you know, I'm I'm not I'm not that smart. Right? <laughs> I can't. I can't do the the connections between all of those things. And and so for me, I've I've just never had a problem with it. They each just seem to work just fine together as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think there's an element of we discover more about the intricacies of God's design and plan through the discoveries of science and that that's, uh, you know, certainly a worthy aim for us to take part in. Right. You, You mentioned, you know, we've talked about U of I and University of Michigan with your son, and, and, and now you're having this experience with your other son, Lucas, as a parent at Notre Dame. Yeah. So since uh, I want to give a little tip of the cap here to, to Notre Dame and, and hear about that, mm-hmm. as you've gotten to know the place, be a part of the kind of the Notre Dame family here, what's been special to you about those moments? You know, when you, when you drop your, your children off and, and leave them for the first time, uh, you always want to feel comfort that you're you're leaving them in the right place, mm-hmm. right? And that was Notre Dame mm-hmm. with Lucas. It when when we came uh, when he was a freshman and we got to go through all of the the various activities and we got to meet you know people within his dorm, the rector in his dorm, Father Brogan, mm-hmm. and and you just walked away knowing that this was the right place. Mm. This was where Lucas was was meant to be. And I really, you know, three years later, two and a half years later, I guess he's a he's a junior now. I, I really believe that he he was meant to be at Notre Dame. God meant for him to be at Notre Dame, and and he's there, and he's he's loving it. Uh, the experience has been fantastic for him. The experience has been fantastic for his mom and I as well. Uh, I I got to say one of the the memorable things for me was we were doing one of the events as an incoming freshman, and it was in. I guess it was in the basketball arena or something yep. like that. And what really impressed me about it where, you know, today's society can be so secular, right? Mm-hmm. And and yet uh, I remember, I believe it was Father Jenkins getting up and, and talking. Actually, I take that back. The first, the first event that happened was, uh, I want to say it was like the president, uh, the student president or something like that. They, get, they, they stood up there and they, they led a prayer. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then Father Jenkins got up and spoke. And I was so impressed about how they didn't Father Jenkins didn't shirk away from the fact that this is a Catholic university. Mm-hmm. Right. That that the faith is a big part of this university. And yet at the same time, it's open to everybody. Sure. Right. It's, you, you don't have to be Catholic to go there. And and so I really that that really struck home to me of how Notre Dame has been able to balance those those two things, you know, still be strong in their faith and and yet at the same time be open to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be in dialogue with the world and to bring faith to bear in that conversation because without it, I think yeah. there's something missing. So, Right, right. Well, thanks for sharing that. Mike, You've in many ways, you've already done more in one lifetime than many of us, you know, could dream about doing. But I have to ask you, what does the future hold for you? And if you could give us some insight into this, what is the future of space exploration? Well, so for, for me personally, one of the things that did happen while I was in space this last time, and, and just as a reminder for the audience, I, I did just splash down about five months ago. Right. Uh, yes. Which is hard to believe, <laughs> right? So... 
So while I was in space this last time, I actually uh, transferred from the Air Force into the Space Force. Mm -hmm. And so the Space Force is our, our newest military service. It's, I guess, what, less than two years old now, mm -hmm. um, almost two. And, and so I did transfer in. And so I've got uh, about a year and a half left of military service, uh, which I will which I will do as a, a member of the Space Force. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to stay active astronaut as well. So I'll be, you know, kind of combining those those two duties, responsibilities, if you will. And then from a human spaceflight perspective, this is such an exciting time mm -hmm. in human spaceflight. There is so much going on. And it's not just NASA and, and our international partners with the International Space Station, for example. You know, the Chinese are doing things in, in space. And the commercial world is exploding in the space arena, right? You had Blue Origins and Virgin Galactic and, and now SpaceX taking the first four civilian astronauts and they spent three days up in space. I mean, how amazing is that, mm -hmm. right? Space is, the, the door is opening to more and more people getting opportunities to, to go into space. And, and certainly right now, you know, it can be a little bit restrictive from a financial standpoint sure. and all of that, but, but it's just the first step, right? And, and it's gonna become more available to more and more people mm -hmm. as, as we go along. And, and so I think what's what's exciting then is you see this low Earth orbit realm is opening up to the commercial world, and and what that is allowing NASA to do then is really start focusing on further exploration, right? Going back to the moon, mm -hmm. and and then going from the moon onto Mars, mm -hmm. and yet we can do that. NASA can do that without having to stop activities in low Earth orbit because all these commercial vendors, these commercial companies are, are doing activities there. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, it's, it's an amazing time in the, in the human spaceflight world. It's an amazing time in, in just the, the space exploration world. Uh, there's so much that's, that's going on, on Mars and, and the moon and other bodies out there in space. And so uh, I, I just think for the, the young generation, you know, the, the students that are there right now at Notre Dame, uh, that have interest in space, whether it's going to be as an astronaut or as an engineer or a scientist, uh, you name it, there are so many ways to get involved in in spaceflight right now that I think it's great for them. I, I think you know even the younger generation as well. You know, somewhere out there is is someone that's going to be that first person to step on Mars, mm -hmm. and, and how exciting is that? Yeah, right. I mean, that's it's amazing. That'll be a day. That'll be a day <laughs> to remember. Yes, it will for sure. Well. Thanks for sharing all those uh, many experiences and adventures with us. I'd like to keep going. I have many more questions that I could ask, but I'll be sensitive to everyone's time. I do want to talk about holiness because that's the name of the podcast, and, and we do like to get that sense from each of the guests. Over the course of your life, who have been some of the people who have shown you what it means to live a holy life? Wow. I, again, I would say my parents. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And, and I say that, and, you know, at the beginning, I talked about the fact that, you know, they didn't go to church a lot when I was, when I was young. But uh, again, despite that, I, I think they, they were very holy. My wife, is, uh, she's, she's amazing. Mm -hmm. And she is the rock in our family for all of us. And then, you know, I talk, uh, I talked about Father Skip, Father Jim, as well as is at the the parish that we uh, we go to now the church we go to now and Deacon Chuck Turner as well they have all 
just been beacons for me as well and models and mentors and what's what's holy and then i've got a i have also got to say <laughs> i mentioned it earlier and i don't know if you recall this i talked about the dominican sisters of mary yeah and i had an opportunity to meet the the mother of santa and uh, sister joseph andrew when i was at a eucharist convention in new zealand of all places hmm. and remember they're up in ann arbor <laughs> And and so we became friends and, and we've stayed in touch. And I actually got to do an event with the Dominican Sisters of Mary while I was on orbit. Wow. And and then I got to tell you, that was probably one of my favorite events that I did. The sisters were just unbelievable. They were they were just so gracious. They were so excited. They were so, and and when you when I look at at what they are doing in their order and, and what they do for uh, around the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that is that is the the definition of holy mm. right there. And and so they're certainly an inspiration as well. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And then as a final question, you've you've discussed kind of your faith journey over the course of time. As you think about this universal call to holiness and how it plays out for you as a husband, a father, a Catholic now, an astronaut. How would you describe your own growth in understanding your call to holiness? Uh, it's been pretty, <laughs> pretty drastic, I'd say, right? <laughs> in the sense of from from where I started to where I am today. You know, I say drastic, but uh, it's been gradual yeah. as well, right? Um, it has been a constant, a constant journey. And you know, one of the one of the programs that I also got to do an event with. I don't know if you've ever heard of that man is you. Sure. It was started by Steve Bowman. Yeah, we actually had Steve on the podcast last season. He talked about that. That's fantastic. So my church, uh, Mary Queen, here in uh, Friendswood, Texas, they have the That Man Is You. And so I've been participating in that, and I got to do an event with them as well while I was on orbit. And and so, you know, when you talk about my growth, programs like that is also are, are helping me in these, I guess, later days of my growth. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's I think programs like that are so important to help us understand our faith, to help us uh, understand what what it means to, to be a man, what it means to be a husband, a father. And so that's been another big step, I guess, in, in my growth. And I, and I think one of the other important things to realize is that it never stops. Mm-hmm. Right. I know that this journey is is not over. I know that uh, my growth is is continuing, and I've got a long way to go. But fortunately, there are people and programs out there and and the church that are going to help me along the way. Yeah, amen to that. Well, Mike, I just want to thank you immensely for uh, taking the time to speak with me and and with our audience here. It's been um, incredibly enlightening to me and I think a real real blessing and privilege in my life to get to do this. And I can't wait to share this with our audience. So just thank you for the time, your witness, given the platform that you have, your witness to your faith is so inspiring to many of us. And so just thank you for all that you do. Thanks, Dan. I, I really appreciate the you know just giving me the opportunity to, to share the story. And I you know I can't say enough of, of how blessed I, I feel. And so I again just thank you. Yes, you're very welcome. Well, that concludes this exciting episode of Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indeed podcast. If you'd like to be made aware of future episodes, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast. 
any service of your choosing. Also, if you give us a rating, if you really appreciate the podcast and like what we're doing here, that helps get the word out. And of course, subscribing to the Daily Gospel Reflection at faith.nd.edu slash sign up is something we always encourage you to do, to join our family of faith in that way. Until next time, you'll be in our prayers. Thanks for being with us. Thank you.